Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my Hall of Fame co-host, Kevin Kernan. This is our flagship show, Coaching Kernan, episode 158 here. And before we begin and talk to Kevin a little bit about some of the articles he's written and some opening day observations, I want to thank our 15,300 subscribers. We jumped another 100 in between our two shows today. I'm excited about the support. Just a reminder, continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. It makes a big difference. It allows us to continue to provide you with great content every week and help stay true to our mission where we're building better baseball IQs out there. Uh, to our contingency, 71 countries we're in now. I'm trying to find a 72nd country. So if our guest today can help us out with another one we're missing, uh, we'll certainly try to move our marketing into that area. But 71 countries, all the way from grassroots to front offices, we're, we're hitting baseball pretty hard. Uh, let us know if you have an additional streaming device. We're on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. If you have an additional one, we'll make sure that we apply to that one as well to make we can make life easier for you. And social media, you drag me out of my cave. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I answer one question a day live on Facebook, but I'll get back to everybody uh, privately. We have almost 700 questions going into today with three shows we're recording today. So with that, uh, before we introduce our guest here today, Kevin, I want to welcome you back to your show, and thank you for all that you do for the, the production network and this show in particular. And I had some great articles again this week, some opening day observations. Um, uh, I like the last article; it was like it was like parkour. It was a whole bunch of different topics, and and uh, but it all tied together nicely. So, welcome back, and uh, get, feed the audience a little bit about uh, what your article is about and what's on your mind today. Yeah, Dave, great to be back. Uh, yeah, trip around the sun. It's a, it's a regular thing I do at Ball9.com where I basically address all kinds of baseball issues. Old-fashioned notes column, a la Peter Gammons uh, back in the day, my friend Jason Stark. And, uh, you know, a lot of things going on in baseball got my attention. We'll talk about it later. Um, hate to see guys like who I know so well. You know, I met Manny in, in, in Dominican Republic, Manny Machado, way back when, when Alex Rodriguez introduced it to me at the David Ortiz's golf tournament before he was a before he was known, super known. And to see him get, you know, strike out the way he did, that I, I lead off with that and, and where we're going with some of these. Um, again, we all want to move, move the game along. We can talk to our guests about that, pace the game. Egregious uh, errors need to be, uh, you know, guys got to be picked, moved up a little bit. But it's getting out of control. And I, I think I thank Bryce Harper for saying, uh, even though they tried to make him back uh, walk it on uh, ESPN, for saying that, the guy, the guys, the players want their game back. So basically, but there's a lot of fun stuff in there as well. Even dropped you in the column this week, Dave. So that's good. And uh, but let's get right to it. We got a great guest today. He's got a lot to say. A lot of many years of Major League Baseball, around baseball. One of the guys that gets it. So uh, let's move on. Yeah, with that, yeah, and thanks for thanks for giving me a plug. I appreciate it. My mom cut it out and put it on the refrigerator, so she's she's still doing that stuff for me. Um, but for our guest today, introduce our guest, a uh, 10-year veteran of Major League Baseball, uh, our, one of our favorite positions on the show, catcher, played at Yale University, led the nation in hitting his senior year, also led the nation in slugging, set the Ivy League record for a 25-game hit streak, uh, spent time in the majors with Boston, who he was drafted by, Baltimore, Atlanta, Oakland, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Miami, and Cleveland. So he got his tour around the bigs but also appeared in the Olympics for Team Israel and appeared in two World Baseball Classics, including the last one uh, that we just had, the very exciting one that led us into this season here. But with that, I want to introduce a guest we're very excited to have, Ryan Lavarnier. 
LeBarnway. Ryan, thanks for coming to our show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. What's up? Yeah. So um, we we connected um, through social media, and I kind of joked before the show, I'm, I'm a caveman with that stuff. The, the audience got me to jump on social media. I stayed away from it for, I think I was the last man standing, not going on. But I was very impressed by the article that you penned, and I'd love to start there. Um, with the article that you penned and it was posted on social media to kind of talk about uh, your time in baseball, what it meant to you. Um, just, to, I guess, a quick question of that. What what were, what were, are you hoping that readers got from that article? And could you give a little synopsis of uh, what you wrote? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for, for saying that you enjoyed it. Um, it it's tough to, to maybe put yourself out there and be so vulnerable um, and, and share your innermost thoughts and motivation. So thank you for saying that. Um, I, I wrote the article because I've seen a lot of my peers retire over the last, you know, five to 10 years. I, I got, was lucky enough to play for a very long time. And almost everybody, when they retire, it's a thank you to my coaches. Thank you to my teammates. Thank you to my parents, my family. And of course, I'm so, so grateful to everyone that's helped me along the way, everyone that's inspired me, supported me, my family. But I wanted to to say more than that, I wanted to, I wanted to give something to to the fans or or to young people or or anybody that is striving to do something great in their own life, because my journey through baseball, you you gave me such a, a wonderful and warm introduction. You know, I, I played in in parts of ten seasons in the major leagues, but I played a lot more in AAA and in the minors than I played in the big leagues, and there was a lot of up and down. It wasn't a straight shot or an easy journey for me. It was a lot of roller coaster rides up and down. And people have asked me, like, how did you keep going? What what kept you in the game? How did you stay motivated? And I just wanted to share some of the things that have worked for me in hopes that somebody that reads it can take something away from it for their own lives. And I've had such great feedback from from fans and people reaching out to me on LinkedIn or Instagram, uh, people that I know via email. Hey, this this was great. Thank you. And I've sent it to my my high school team. Uh, I've sent it to my my son or my daughter because I think that they can really get something out of this. And that was my goal. So it's been such great feedback that I've received, and I'm so grateful. Yeah, and I, I appreciate your uh, your self awareness because today's world, these kids have so much input out there, and it's it's the Amazon.com generation where you press a button, you got a package at your door, and they want instant gratification. Share more about that because to me, that's what I took away. Um, I played a few years in the minors, uh, three seasons, and I know in a small sense just how hard it is. And and I commend you for how long you played, not only for being good enough to do it that long, but also for the mental toughness that it took to to find a way. But in a world where people are afraid to expose their weaknesses and they're a little bit more fragile, um, talk to that audience right now and share some insights into what helped you stay motivated and what helped you stay strong? Sure. Well, first of all, when I was a younger person in my early 20s, when I first got called up from the Red Sox or to the Red Sox, I certainly was not willing to show my weaknesses. <laughs> I, I put on this, this suit of armor that I thought I needed to be tough and I thought I needed to be brave and courageous and, and have no fear and show no weakness all the time. Uh, but as I, as I grew up in the game and as I learned about myself and I, I paid attention to how other people were responding that wasn't authentic that wasn't true being myself and people could feel that if if you're hurting or or you feel scared or nervous it's okay to show it because everyone feels that in some capacity and by showing vulnerability people are not going to think less of you 
people actually end up thinking that you're strong or you're courageous to show those vulnerabilities and they end up being drawn to you and you end up feeling a connection with people more. So once I figured, once I learned that out and I could share the things that I was feeling and, and people could relate to those things, right? Nobody, nobody loves, I mean, people love the idea of like Barbie doll and Ken doll or superheroes, but nobody can relate to those people. So don't try to be a Barbie or a Ken or a superhero, an action figure, like be yourself and the things that you're feeling other people can probably relate to. And you'll end up making stronger connections if you, if you show your weaknesses. Was there, was there a tipping point that you remember uh, an encounter with a veteran or uh, something that happened that just kind of triggered in you? Hey, I've got to make that adjustment. For me, it was, it was playing for team Israel in the first WBC that I got to participate in, in 2017. That was coming off of a 2016 year where I had parts of five years in the big leagues. And then I had been sent down to double A with a new team. The first time I had been released, the first time I had been sent back down two levels. And I was just in such a bad place in my life and my career. I wasn't sure if I even liked baseball anymore. And then I got to participate in that world baseball classic. And it was such a refreshing, like such a pure competition and such a group of guys that all had had up and down careers similar to me. We all had a chip on our shoulder of maybe we weren't in the right place at the right time. Maybe we had been overlooked or underestimated. And I think one of the best things that happened to that team was ESPN wrote an article calling us wannabes, has-beens, and never wers. And, and like we were perfectly cast as the team that had no business being there but found a way to win. But we hadn't won anything yet. So it was such a great group motivation. And we could lean on each other and share our experiences in addition to all coming from a same, uh, a very similar cultural background. It was just pure baseball, pure competition. And it was really a life-changing baseball experience for me that, that leaked over into my personal life and, and helped me find myself as an adult, helped me find myself as, as a Jewish person and a man. So I, I have always loved the WBC since I got to play in it that first time. And then this time when it got so popular, it feels like everyone else caught on to how cool this tournament is. And I'm so happy. Yeah, a lot of a lot of big excitement this year, more than I remember in the past, and I think it's kind of spilled over into the early season of baseball. You, you made a point where baseball affected you as a man. Um, could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, some, from the time I was five years old, baseball has been the reason I got up in the morning. It's been the reason I go to the gym. The reason I I intake, you know, I eat whatever I eat. It's I've always had one singular goal since the time I was a little kid. I remember even in in sixth grade, I was eleven years old. And one of my little league teammates come back from a skiing trip and had broken his wrist. And at 11 years old, I knew I said, I can't risk my baseball career by going skiing. So things that I've kept myself away from risks that I avoided and didn't take baseball was my motivator. It was my reason for being. And as I grew up in the game, baseball taught me all my life lessons. It feels like how to win, how to lose, how to share, how to be a member of a team and go for something that's bigger than yourself. I am such a big proponent of what sports can teach us as, as people and as a society and the bridges that it could build and, and the, how it can teach you how to grow into yourself as a person. Yeah. It sounds like that was a, that's life changing what you're, you're saying and very fortunate that, that you were able to experience that with team Israel in 2017. I believe you had a, you had a couple of big wins in that tournament, correct? 
Yeah, I mean, coming as the team of has-beens, never-wers, and, and never-will-bees, or whatever they called us, we ended up beating the, the number three, number four, number six, and number 12 ranked teams in the world. It was a really, really fun time. Yeah, and it, it sounds like um, as you guys experienced that, that uh, I guess they, they saw you as not relevant, so to speak, it's a good lesson for the kids that listen. Uh, you know, People go out there always trying to prove people wrong, but it sounded like you guys proved each other right. Yeah, there was, there was a part of it of, of the, we're going to prove them wrong, but we also believed in ourselves. And this was one of the things I wrote in that article when I retired in The Athletic was, in high school, I was given the mantra of, why not me? And it, it wasn't like a whiny or a sad, why not me? It was more of a like, why not me? I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that it is me. And it's my future and the things that I want to accomplish are, are within my control. And then in college, I had another time, another mantra that was given to me of why not more? If you have a goal for yourself, don't set a ceiling that is easy to achieve. Set a goal that seems almost too far away and then go get it. Why not more? I wanted to be an all Ivy League player. And my hitting coach said, why not all American? And I went out there and I was all American the next year. A goal that I never would have set for myself because it seemed so far away. But when it was given to me and, and someone else believed in me, I started to believe that it was possible too. And with Team Israel and with two of the playoff teams that I was with in the major leagues, it was why not us? Why why wouldn't it be us this year? Why can't we be the team that, that makes the playoffs or wins the World Series when I was with Boston? And, and that was the same thing with Team Israel is everyone is, is doubting us, but why not us? Why can't we shock the world? And then we went out there and did it. You definitely did. And I've got, I've got two more questions. I want to pass it over to Kevin. Um, Going into the next phase of your life, what's your what's your mantra now? Ooh, I, you know what? I haven't put a ton of thought into into what's next. I know that I still want to achieve uh, things that feel far away from me. So I started this week. I had my first broadcasting opportunity with the Rockies. I worked my first pregame and postgame show. I have twenty more on the schedule for this year, so I'm really excited about that. And that's a, a new skill. That's a new. Um, something that I haven't done yet before. So I, I definitely have a lot to learn and I'm going to work my butt off the same as I have in other things. And I really want to make sure that I'm the type of member of the media that remembers how hard it was, that respects that, that players are people too. And that always gives context. If there happens to be an error or there's a great play, I want to point out the positives as well as, as the truth, but, but always make sure that I have an optimistic perspective because I know what it feels like on the other side as the player. Well, I'll tell you what, you couldn't be on with a better guy here. I'm going to get one more question, but my co-host here and star of this show, Kevin Kernan, is one of the best in the business at that. And the humility with, with you, you approach this interview with already and how articulate you are and how just self-aware you are, I'd recommend making him a mentor because he could. He, uh, it sounds like you guys are kindred spirits in that regard, and he's, he's the best in the business. Uh, one, one more question for you, and it has to do with catching now. And you know, being a catcher is hard in itself, and that's an understatement, but being a backup catcher is even harder because there's things that you have to do um, extra, I would imagine, to keep yourself ready. Uh, and there's that mental component of it because the day the day that you get to catch, the, 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 the starting catcher is getting a day off probably against a stud out there in the mound. So you're facing <laughs> a, a lightning guy, a guy, you know, guy, number one guy out there. So talk a little bit about um, the, I guess, the nuances of being a backup catcher. Yeah, well, I don't know that being a backup catcher is necessarily harder than being a starter because 
going out there and catching 100 to 120 or some of these guys are catching 140 games a year. That yeah. is a, an, a skill and that is an endurance and a mental toughness that cannot be matched. So being a backup catcher, it, it definitely has a skill set of its own and it's a separate type of challenge. A lot of times the day that you get to play, it's a day game getaway. So there's no batting practice on the field. Uh, you're, you're waking up and you, you don't get the day to kind of wake up slow. Your sleep schedule has changed a little bit. You're out of rhythm maybe because you haven't played every day and, and baseball is very much a rhythm and timing sport. So you might be out of rhythm. Your timing might be a little bit off. You haven't seen the other lineup and called pitches against them from behind the plate for a few days. So you have to have done your homework and, and been paying attention when the other guy was calling pitches of, what are, how are we attacking these guys and, and how are these batters responding and what changes or adjustments do we need to make to make sure that we're playing chess while these batters are still playing checkers. So there's definitely a skill set involved there. But as you start to figure out that skill set, the backup catcher is really a defensive position. It's not, it's not a spot where you're looking for a high average. Maybe they hope that you go out there and you pop a couple homers a year. If you can get 10 as a backup catcher, uh, average doesn't really matter. Hit a homer every once in a while, receive the ball really well, steal pitches, throw guys out, shut down the run game and, and call a great game. When I started to figure that out as a player it was in t- 2018, I was playing for the Pittsburgh pirates in triple a, and I was more of a veteran presence at that point already. I had been, pl- I was in my 10th year of pro ball, maybe 11th season. And I remember of at a, after about a month of the season, I went to our manager I was hitting like a buck 90 and I was I was always an offensive player first. That my game was to hit the ball and to catch the ball enough to stay in the lineup and not hurt the team. Realistically, I was never a glove first guy until maybe the last couple of years of my career. But I went in 2018 I went to my manager and I I literally asked him word for word, "How much longer can I hit like this before I get released?" I was I was not feeling confident at the time and he said to me, in your role on this team, I need you to take care of the pitching staff. Do not, I don't care about your hitting. I don't care if you hit zero for the rest of the year. You take care of these pitchers. That's what we brought you in here for. And that's what the role is for a backup catcher on, on these big league clubs is take care of the pitching staff. And if, and if you get a hit, that's a bonus. If you pop one, you hit a homer, even better. But your main role is, is defense. And it's a lot easier to stay in rhythm on defense because of drills you can do, receive off the machine, catch bullpens. You can stay in rhythm with the pitcher that you're going to catch. Make sure you catch his bullpen in between starts. Go out there and, and during the pitcher's stretch and warm up, catch the pitchers in the bullpens as they're getting ready for the day. You could talk to them. It's a lot easier to stay in rhythm defensively as that backup catcher. Yeah, and I was just going to ask you, you, you went out and caught bullpens as well. Oh, yeah. I, I was also a guy that changed teams about a hundred times. You heard, you said my resume at the beginning. I think I was called up and sent down 26 times in 12 years that I had big league service up and down, uh, uh, over the course of 10 seasons, over the course of 12 years, 26 up and downs, eight different teams. So I was the guy that was very often on a team. And the first time I, I met a guy was during the game when he came in and I'd meet him on the pitcher's mound and say, Hey, what pitches are you going to throw today? Cause I, I just met him. So when I had the opportunity to catch guys in the bullpen or go out there for extra work, I always tried to take that extra opportunity because I wanted to earn trust and I wanted to see the ball out of their hand 
before it was bases loaded and he came in the game. No, that's that's great. That's it's a message to the kids too. Uh, in today's world of, you know, like like we said, instant gratification. You were out there doing the dirty work um, from day one to the day you retired. So that's that's uh, you have to a great message. And uh, I'll pass it on to Kevin now. Yeah, Ryan. Uh, you know, listening to you talk, you obviously have the right personality for it. You know, being being around the game forever. You know, Mark Parent was really the first backup catcher that I really got to, to know well. He was a great guy. There's something about the backup catcher being a great guy. <laughs> you know, I don't think I've ever met one I didn't like. Um, but I wanted to ask you about uh, you know WBC. I, I covered the first two. Uh, I saw one of your one of my one of my friends is uh, was was one of your coaches. Let let everybody know about what kind of guy Jerry Naren is and, uh, and 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 what he means to any team that he's with. And also, you can mention his handwriting if you want to. <laughs> Jerry Naren, uh, he he, you just look at him and you know that he knows more than you about baseball. Mm. That he's probably forgotten more about baseball than you will ever know. He's been in the game for maybe I don't know how you translate baseball years to calendar years like dog years are, are seven calendar sure. years baseball years might be 10 so he's got about 200 years in the game <laughs> he's such a knowledgeable guy and and yeah you mentioned the the lineup cards he did something for our first game this year that and I think he did it in the last WBC too if I'm not mistaken <clears throat> excuse me he wrote the lineup card for the for our team at least in Hebrew and wow. his handwriting, he's a, he's a calligrapher. I, I even, it was so noticeably better than anyone else's handwriting on the lineup card that I, I asked him if he took classes in it. And he said it was, he's totally self-taught. So it's pretty cool. If you haven't had a chance to see that lineup card in Hebrew, it's, it's one of a kind and you've never seen it before. So, so I'm sure you could Google it and find an image. It was, it was very, very cool. What did that do for you personally when you saw that, you know, just uh, the respect that you have for your heritage? It's you know what playing for Team Israel, a team a country that had when I started playing for for them they only had one baseball field in the whole country, and they only had five hundred players participating at at any age in the whole country, and they were ranked sixty fourth in the world. You go into the tournament like that, as as representing Team Israel, and you know you're not going to win the tournament. Like you're going to do your best, you're going to play to win every single game, and you're you're going to try to upset people. But any game you play, you're going to have to punch above your weight. And it's the it's a tournament of the top. It was the top 16 teams in the world, and this time it was the top 20. But we came in ranked 64th. It's almost a question of how did we get in and qualify in, in the first place. So it it means something different. And playing Jews, it, it's a it's a, a a culture, and it's a it's a people as well as a country. And I think there's Jewish people around the world from all countries that feel united and feel tied to that team. So having the lineup card in Hebrew really just was another example of how we were playing for more than just winning the game. We're playing to represent a, a minority in this country and a minority in the world that has not always had the most positive re response and reaction from other people. And has been underrepresented in the sports world in particular. So we want to give people role models and a team that they can root for and something positive in the world when it's not always a, a positive uh, in the perception of other people. No, that's so well said. And, and you know, and obviously 
Osmus I know very well and, and guys like that, Eucalyptus. So it's, it, it, it must, it had to be super special. I mean, all, all players love wearing their, you know, their uniforms from their country, but this one, uh, I think he said it so well about how, 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 how it, it is something super special. And it, it almost does it, did it actually lift your performance level too? I think it certainly did. And for me, it really hit home when we were qualifying for the tournament in 2016 in, in Brooklyn, which Brooklyn was almost a home te- a home game for Team Israel. There's so many Jewish people. And, and at that stadium, I looked in the, in the crowd and there was three or four yeshiva classes, which if you don't know what a yeshiva is, it's a Jewish day school. There was all these little kids wearing the yarmulkes and wearing tal- talit uh, and it hit me that they haven't had a team of Jewish players really probably in any sport where they could relate to every player on the field and they could see themselves. And there's science behind this of the more things that you can relate to in a role model, whether that's skin color, whether that's gender, whether that's religion or where you're from, what you believe, the more things you can relate to, the more you will internalize the positive messages uh, as, as a young person. So being able to be the role model for them that I didn't necessarily have a lot of when I was when I was growing up. I had Sean Green on the Dodgers, who I always looked up to, but having a full team of role models, it really hit me, and that's when I, I decided I really wanted to be that person for those kids. No, and and you can carry it on, and I think the message you're sending now, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, like like Dave said earlier, we're in a lot of countries. It's going to be great for people to hear this because they they. They need that little bit of lift, and, and we're lucky enough to speaking with Ryan LeBarnway. And one, one, I'm going to drop another name. Pat Dobson, years ago, was the pitching coach in San Diego. Just one of the best pitching coaches ever. Didn't take any crap and uh, knew what he was doing. He went on to become part of the uh, scouting gurus for the Giants that went three uh, World Series, Brian Sabian's group. But I remember talking to Dobber once uh, years ago after a trade or whatever, and and he told me, he said, you know what? When I first was traded, I took it the wrong way that they didn't want me. And then I realized people did want me. But the other thing, the other thing that came is I made so many friends by going to new teams. So just looking at your resume, you must know more people than anyone else in baseball. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, my, my running joke is I played for so many teams uh, because a lot of teams wanted me and then a lot of teams were okay with letting me go also. <laughs> but yeah, I, when, when I'm starting to do the, the scouting reports and I'm starting to do my research to, to look at the teams that the Rockies are, are playing against as I'm starting to get into broadcasting, it's like, oh, I played, I played with that guy. I played against that guy. Where, where did I play with that guy again? Was that Detroit or, or Miami? Or is that maybe Cleveland? It's, <laughs> I've changed teams so many times in the last few years. And as other guys are changing teams also, it's hard to, to put the math together of exactly where we intersected. Well, that's going to help you so much if you, if you keep going in your broadcast career, if you get in the front office. Because, you know, that, that's one of the lost arts in baseball now. Because of the analytics, the, the, you know, and I, just to be upfront, I'm not a big analyst. You know, I, I understand it. I get it. I played baseball through college. So I always understood much different than other writers that how hard the game is. And I'm so glad you mentioned that early on. I took that with me to the ballpark every day. I think it's why I could relate to the players so well. And, uh, but these, 
you know, by knowing so many people, you know, you get the ins and outs and the information and, and uh, it's going to help you whichever direction you go in the future, because you'll, you'll be able to really talk uh, life and baseball with these guys and you can bring that to to, to the viewers. Is that, is that something you're trying to do? Uh, to make yeah, it I mean, I hope so. I, I hope so. And I, over the past five years, while I was still playing, I would have scouts calling me from different teams. I had known when I was with the team that they were scouting for, and they'd ask me about players they wanted to trade for. They'd say, hey, is there anything about this guy's personality that's going to get me fired if I recommend him? Exactly. I've had that call. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because everyone wants to recommend good players, but they also want to fill a clubhouse with good people. Because if if you have a cancer in the clubhouse, it doesn't matter how good of a person or how good of a player you are. It's going to be tough to make up for the detriment that you bring to the team. Well, that I think shows the respect. If you have scouts calling you, and that gets back to my point, that's that's what baseball is all about. It's, it's 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 numbers. It's this. It's that too. But it's knowing relationships. Who's good for a team? And and the other thing is, I was just looking real quick, but you, you had four thousand two hundred and seven plate appearances in the minor leagues. You know. And and, and uh, I think it was 145 home runs. In a, a lot of ways, 145 home runs. You, you were a kind of a real life Crash Davis. Did did anyone ever bring that up to you, or did, did you make it? Did you was that part of your background in any way at all? Well, well, as I started to get older, some of my teammates would call me Grandpa or Abuelo on the team. <laughs> and, and as we were traveling, depending on what I wore to the airport, people would be like, "Oh, you're Jake Taylor today," or "Oh, you, oh, you look like Crash Crash Davis." So. It's definitely a comparison I got. Um, there were there were times where I felt like I performed in the minors better than maybe the opportunity I was given. But sure. I'm not I'm not the type of person that that go looks back and has regrets. I, I understand that in general, for the most part, baseball is a very fair game, and you get the opportunities that you earn. I think there was times that I maybe earned a little bit more playing time, and I think there were other times when I was in the right place at the right time. And I didn't earn the opportunity to get to the big league. So I think it probably evened out. And I think anybody that is a, as competitive as I am and played the game at the high level like I have will wish that, you know, that they're very proud of their career, but they always want a little bit more. Absolutely. And I think that's that, that's what keeps you going. And, and, and getting back to the earlier point, you know, all these teams wanted you at some point for whatever reason. And, and that, that speaks volumes. Uh, first team you're on, I was looking to – one of my favorites of all time. You have to have a, a good Dustin Pedora story about, uh, you know, uh, just being a teammate of his or, or whatever, or just seeing him do his deal. Yeah, I have so many positive things to say about yep. Dustin Pedroia. He's the best. He's he's such a, a fire a fireball, and and he was, I think, the type of person that if you were playing against him, you hated playing against him because he was so dang good. And he was going to give everything every single game and not let off the gas pedal. And as a teammate, especially as a young guy, the, the first time I got called up in August of, of 2011, I was hot. I got activated because David Ortiz's Achilles was hurting him. But I think the actual move was Kevin Euclid to the injured list. And But I was DHing for, for David Ortiz, and I, I hit 305 for the first week I was in the big leagues uh, before David was healthy and I got sent back down. But David was out of the lineup. Dustin may or may not have been going through a slump, but he pulled me aside in the dugout and he said, Hey, look, you keep doing your thing, but remember they pay me and David to win these games. So don't feel pressure. And I thought that was such a cool conversation for him to go out of his way to try to take any pressure that I hadn't, I don't even know. I don't even remember if I felt it or if I had expressed it in some way, 
but he wanted to make sure that I, I was comfortable in the dugout. And I thought that was so cool. That, that's, a, that's a great story. And I think that gives everybody a little bit of insight of what made him so special. I remember one day, it might have been that year, when it, uh, sitting in front of the, uh, in Fenway Park, just standing in front of the, uh, the dugout and uh, the Red Sox dugout. And we got along good. So he saw me and he, he, he's coming out early and he's got two young players with him, two young, I'm not going to mention their names, but two young infielders. Uh, one for sure has definitely moved on and had a long career. Um, but he goes, hey, do you believe it? I'm going to teach these guys how to play pepper. They don't know how to play pepper. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lost art these days. It is a lost art. But that's your story telling you what he did there for that young player. Plus, this guy taking the time out to teach two young kids how to play pepper. Not just, out, you know, here's what you do. On a, you know, everybody gives tips throughout the, you know, the season. But taking the time to teach them pepper, which I think they probably eventually passed on to other players where, where nobody plays it anymore unless you really want to be good. Because especially now, I would do it all the time now with the way things are. But that shows you about Pedroia. Who, through all the years, just give me one or two other teammates that really um, made an impact in you for, for how they, they, they led as well as played. Well, the two guys that come to mind first are were Adam Jones when I was with the Orioles. Oh, yeah, another one. He was great, great he was the most relatable, most mm. down to earth, most like real person as a superstar of someone that I've ever played with. He was such a just a good, real person, awesome dude. I loved playing with him. The conversations we had, it just deep, meaningful. Uh, and then I really, really enjoyed AJ Brzezinski. And oh, I know, I know, yeah, he's got I, a bad rep, I think. I know he's he, got maybe not the most fantastic rep, but he was so good to me. Um, and I think I think that everybody that you that is out there that maybe doesn't have necessarily a, a positive reputation, you need to you need to look for somebody that had good experiences with them. Because I have nothing but positive things to say about AJ Pruszynski. He was he was real and he was honest, and I think sometimes People didn't like that he was so honest and vocal because we talked about it earlier. If you are not a good person or, or if you don't show your vulnerabilities yourself, AJ would just call you on it and AJ would, would be real with you. And if you didn't like his opinion, well, then that's why you didn't like AJ. But to me, he was he was great. He was a mentor as, as a fellow catcher, someone that had a really long career, somebody that was offense first for a lot of his career. Um, I really, really liked AJ Pruszynski. I'm sure he could see a little bit of himself in you because, you know, that you, you want to pass that stuff along. And, and Adam Jones, you, uh, you know, you're mentioning my go-to guys when I used to cover, you know, as a, as a, a guy who mainly covered the Mets, well, I, for a long time Padres, but Mets and Yankees later in my career, you always had to have guys on the other team who, who really could put it together for you real quickly. And both those guys were great at it. And uh, to this day, if I see either one, it's, uh, you know, it, it's special times. And that's something I think that uh, that's lost in the sauce too. Sometimes, when unfortunately, and you can you can say if I'm wrong here, you know, tell me what you really think. I think they want to make players more into robots today than players and people. Especially, I, I see what's going on with the catching position, and in some ways, I don't like it. Just give us a view of what you see, what's happening to today's catcher compared to how you, you know, even even something is uh, not too long ago, 2011, when you came in. I would say it's the opposite. I don't think they okay. want to make robots anymore. 
I'm t- are you talking about personalities or are you talking about uh, the way they play the game physically? What I'm do you talking mean? about what they allow them to do. I mean, they, they want them to, um, you know, uh, if they let them call the game, it's important. Uh, but I, I don't even know how much they call the game. Things are pre-programmed sometimes, which sets me off a long, a long way. But uh, go ahead. You, you were there. You explain it to me. Yeah, no, I, the catchers are definitely still calling the game. Yeah. I think all of the teams are trying to find a way to measure how they call a game. I know, I mean, I've been on 100 teams in the last five years, it mm-hmm. feels like. Every team is trying to figure out a way uh, to objectively measure how often does the catcher call what they what they would consider the best pitch. And these teams, with with the analytics that you already expressed not liking, I know that my, my self-scouting report when I was hitting is I was a fastball hitter. I hit the fastball. According to, uh, I had my, my buddy from Team Israel who was with the Cubs as a, as a pitching guy, I had him send me their scouting report on me when we weren't going to play them anymore that year. So I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Uh, no. We weren't playing them anymore that year. So he sent me the scouting report, and it was it said that I hit the, the fastball 23% better than league average, and my, my swing percentage was 80% in zone or something to that effect. And I hit breaking balls. I think it was like 16 or 17 percent worse than league average, uh, but I didn't swing at them very often. So their goal when they were pitching against me was if they could get me to swing at breaking balls, they would win. And I know that every every team, when I was with the Reds, for instance, the scouting report, they had it broken down to early in the count. This is the best pitch when right. the pitcher's ahead. This is the best pitch. If the batter's ahead, this is the best pitch. And when there's two strikes, this is the best pitch. So. They are trying to find a way to measure how good of, is this catcher at calling pitches, but nobody's found a way to do it yet because mm-hmm. as a catcher, I know that in every situation, there's probably two or three pitches that will work. One of them might be slightly better than the other, but ultimately the pitcher is a human being also, and he's, he's going to have confidence. Yeah, he's got to execute. Right? Yeah, he's going to have confidence in, in which pitch, and the wrong pitch thrown well is better than the right pitch thrown poorly. So as the catcher, part of your your game, part of the art of calling pitches is figuring out what's working today. Objectively, his fastball might be the best pitch, but if he's not throwing it where he wants to or it's not coming out right, we're going to have to lean on the breaking ball or we're going to have to lean on the changeup or vice versa. So there's definitely still an art to that, and the catchers definitely still have you know, their free will and their free reign to play the game. So... I'd have to disagree with you that they're trying to turn them into robots. What I'd say is they're trying to evaluate it better uh, as a staff and trying to find a way to objectively measure something that I would consider art. And I don't know that they'll ever be able to do that. Yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to do. And, and, and I remember Al Leiter told me years ago, I'd much just what you just said in a different fashion, but he said, I'd, I'd rather throw this pitch, pitch with conviction then maybe another pitch that doesn't have the same conviction, even though it might be the better pitch in that situation. Yeah, the right the right pitch is what the yep. pitcher believes in. Ultimately, we give the catcher the responsibility of calling pitches from the outside in, but the pitcher has to live with the results, and the pitcher's the one that has to throw it. So, so ultimately, I believe the catcher is making suggestions, and the pitcher is ultimately calling his own game. He's the one calling that, and I think that's why the one good thing with PitchCom, I think you're seeing more of that now. The other thing I wanted to ask, and again, a little pushback on this. I think when I see these guys, I, I get what you're saying, the numbers, the percentages. I'm all for that. The, the good guys realize that already. But here's what I'm saying. 
what about the ability to read a swing or the ability for the pitcher in that moment to be reading what the pitcher is doing? It's different at four o'clock than it is at eight o'clock. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think, I think that's one of the things that catchers do that a lot of people that don't understand catching don't okay. notice. It's a, okay. it's a skill. And again, it's an art, it's a perception and it's something that the more you catch a certain guy, the better you're going to get at it. So that's, that's another place where starting catcher has a slight advantage because he's used to seeing these guys so often and, and the backup catcher sees him once a series, once a week, whoever he, he ends up getting on that day, they, they, they really have to be locked in and, and connected with the pitcher on that specific day. No, it, it really is. It's the toughest job in baseball. One one other technical question, because you know, like we like Dave said earlier, we we try to build a better ball player here. When we've had everyone from you know Piazza to Jim Cott to you know people who say you know people who know the game inside and out, um, the, the the thing that I love to see too is 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 the players playing with emotion. You talked about it. I think we need to have the emotion in the game, right? And I think that was the best thing about the WBC. Uh, these guys played the game with passion and it's such a different game when you play it with passion. Yeah, that's, that's where I was, I was going to disagree with you is I don't think personality wise and emotion wise, they want robots anymore. I think they no, want, no, I don't mean that. I, yeah. I mean more like robots of like, okay, this is the pitch we use at this, this precise time. I'm, they want, you know, they want, I think they want you to have your personality, which is, and, and certainly and as a new. backup catcher, you got to have a personality. And that's new. That's new in the game. Okay. Even a, even a few years ago, they would still say, don't, don't fist pump. Don't show anybody up. The old school mentality of play the game, be a professional. And I love the way that the game is going in this direction of even MLB ran a campaign last year or the year before of let the kids play. Like the kids, the kids, the young players that are coming up are the ones that are showing the most emotion and the fans can relate to that. We want to see a fist pump. We want to see you yell, heck yeah. We want to, we want to see maybe a a helmet slam because you're disappointed because you cared so much. And the WBC was so great for that because it was a winner take all game after the, the first round of pool play. And it's hard to replicate that in a 162 game season of this game matters to me so much there's nothing else that's going on that matters except for this game and the players that can get that type of intensity on a day-to-day basis they're going to be the best and they're going to be the most fun to watch but again it's hard to replicate in a a long season no you can't do that every day it's 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 impossible and we're we're exactly on the same page that's why i love to don't forget i went to the first two wbcs it was even crazier and (laughs) uh you know i was in puerto rico and 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 place it was just so much it's kind of like i have i've had this conversation with scouts and i and i haven't looked at your background did you play much winter ball i did not i I, looking back maybe i I would have now yeah yeah i have a theory they need to get the the american kids sometimes now to play some winter ball just for the experience because players who have played it told me it's an unbelievable jeff fry guys like that it's an unbelievable experience and it brings that passion every day and you and you also got it toughens you up because you're not you know you're not you're not at the Arizona Fall League just being another big shot. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I'm of two minds of the, of the of going down to winter ball. Firstly, as as you grow in the game, you got to have some time off to recover. You got you have to recover mentally and physically. And the mental part is is the part that people don't always recognize. You have to have time away from the game to miss it, to want to come back and give it your all. And if you play straight through the whole year, you could be mentally worn down as well as physically. 
that being said, as a player that if you want to develop, if you want to keep getting better, the more you play, the better you're going to get. So these Latin players that that come here, they play 30 games in spring training. They suit up for 150, 160 during the season. Maybe they make the playoffs. There's you know five, 10 more there. And then they go play winter ball, 45 more games. You're talking 220 games in a year. That's it's borderline outrageous, but they get better because they keep playing the entire year and they never, they never get rusty. They never have a dip where they, where their skills maybe are a little bit worse and then they need to build them back up. It's a continuous stair-stepping process where they're growing and improving year round, year after year after year. And if they can find a way to get that physical rest and to get that mental reset, then there's a really, really positive benefit to getting all those extra games under your belt. Uh, this is such a, a great conversation. It reminds me of my conversation sometimes I used to have way back in the day with Chris Young, who's now you know, running Rangers. Um, um, because obviously you think the game to so many different levels. And I'm not going to tell you what to do, but obviously if you get a chance to get in the front office, it would be a great addition for a team because uh, you've been there and done that. And uh, same thing with broadcasting. I mean, that's fun too, but... I could tell from your competitive spirit at some point you're going to need to get a job where you're trying to win. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> As an organization or whatever. One, one last thing before I throw it back to Dave, because, you know, we've, we've talked a lot of technical stuff and, 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 and baseball stuff, but I, I, we, we have fun on the show too. And, and we love to go out to eat and stuff like that. You've crisscrossed the country so many different ways. You, you got to have a couple of restaurants you want to mention that, that you really love to go to, or, or, or even, you know, hole in the wall type thing or just a, a local oh, thing yeah. you 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 opened a can of worms that i don't know you're prepared for <laughs> no i believe me if you ever if you follow me on social media half of my stuff is food and the other half is baseball for the most part so so uh, so growing up growing up I, I had a father that was from a small town in indiana and would eat red meat and potatoes and maybe chicken okay so that that was my that was my upbringing and then when my, my wife of almost 10 years and I started dating, I think it was our third date and we went for Thai food. And I, oh. I don't even think I had had avocado at this point <laughs> in my life. And she, and I was like, oh, I don't eat Thai food. And she gave me an ultimatum on our third date. If you're not willing to try new things, this isn't going to work out. That's awesome. So it became a value of mine. It became something that I really went out of my way to try new things. And, and now I am one of the most adventurous eaters I know. My, my wife went to culinary school, and as did my sister, and we are oh, major, wow. major foodies. And are, we, I mean, we love a stadium hot dog and some nachos as well as a $1,000 dinner. Um, it is our number one hobby to pick uh, one of the top restaurants in the world and travel to go, to go dine there once a year. Oh, that's pretty awesome. What was the last one you went to? Uh, the last one, uh, we did one in San Francisco, Atelier Kren, which was incredible. Uh, in the last couple of years, we've flown to, to Bangkok for a restaurant, to Paris for a restaurant, uh, New York, Chicago. Um, we're, did I say Paris, London? Um, yeah. we, go, we go all over. And, and are they set, when you go to those places, is it a set menu or do you, you know, some, some are they preset or what, how, what, what's, what's the deal there? Most of them, most of them are, are prefix menus. Uh, every once in a while you have a course option or two. Uh, but again, I, I don't want to sound like a snob. We love a stadium hot dog and we, I love a Big Mac as, and, and a Dunkin' Donuts uh, donut as much as the next guy. 
Uh, and then every every once in a while we go treat ourselves. Favorite fast food, then give me your favorite your favorite fast food burger. Ooh, um, probably Sonic. Sonic, okay, that's Sonic a good one. double cheese. Yeah, yeah, that's that's basic and uh... not not kosher. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and one last food question: What's the most exotic thing you've eaten? The most exotic. So for the first WBC. They actually asked Josh Zide to go on an authentic Korean foods tour. And oh. I'm so grateful that we were bonding and we were becoming best friends in that moment oh, yeah. because he said, I'm only going to go if you let Ryan come with me. <laughs> and they actually they actually filmed our little food tour and put it on cut four on MLB.com. So if you guys are interested, you could check it out. But we they it was it was Jews try Korean food for the first time was basically the the title of it. <laughs> and we, we started awesome. we started with like very traditional spicy fish cakes and fish stew, and and I was doing my my best Anthony Bourdain impression, trying to be a a food uh, critic, um, and I remember saying something like, "Oh, this this is like the this is like the matzo ball soup of of Korea," <laughs> and, and they went from very traditional Korean food to let's see what these idiots won't, won't say no to. <laughs> and it became a, well, let's go try live octopus and blood sausage and cheek. Uh, and so those were probably the most adventurous live octopus is probably where, where I would go with that. Uh, good for you. Well, I'll throw it back to Dave before uh, we, we bounce back to me one more time for one last question, but go ahead, Dave. Yeah, that's a great transition. Cause I was going to ask you and maybe you can segue into it. Your wife is a chef, Jamie. And she's also a blogger. What's her What's her forte as a chef, and how can we support her with oh, we, yeah. we well, her with her blogging? She had she had a couple blogs going over the years that she's since kind of let go by the wayside. But she it was terrific when when she was blogging. What that meant was that I was getting to taste test new recipes all of the time. Oh. And and she was she went through a phase of a few years where she did she didn't make the same recipe twice because we had to keep creating new content. Um, at th- at this point, she hasn't been doing it, but she she has cooked commercially in kitchens a lot of dessert stuff. But at the house, she doesn't she doesn't do the dessert as much. She's savory, and and one of the questions I always get asked as a follow up to that is, what's the best meal she's ever cooked? Yeah, and, that's a dangerous one. I was going to ask you, but I don't know, like one of one of my involved. first one of the first birthdays that I had when we were we were living together, uh, she went to the butcher shop to to get a, pick out a nice steak. And there wasn't one on the counter that she liked. So she went back behind the counter and, and cut it off the carcass herself. And she made a be- just beautiful ribeye and lobster pot pie on the side. Oh, my gosh. That's you're, a, you're a lucky man. I am. I am. And I know it. I eat like a king. That's And uh, before we toss it back, Kevin always finishes the show with a, a it's a deep question, simple question, but it's a great one. It, it reveals a lot with our guests. But I've got one before that. Um, you know, you, you, again, what sparked me to reach out to you was the article that I saw that you wrote and I thought it was beautiful. Um, how do you hope the game remembers you as a player? Oh man, that's not the deep question. No, there's a deeper one. That's that's the warm up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Well, I, I hope the the game remembers me as, as someone that loved the game and and gave it his all and, and was kind and, and hopefully made a positive impact on some people. Yeah. I think that's that's true to your interview today. Very very articulate interview, and you're going to make, as Kevin said, he's he's a great judge of talent. Maybe the best I've been around in, in my 30 plus years of in uh, at the coaching level. Um, but yeah, you're going to make a great front office person if you choose to someday. A great coach, and 
a great broadcast. You're going to be great. I think you're going to be even better in your next phase of baseball if you choose to do so. And with that, I'll, I'll pass it back on to Kevin for our final question. Thank you, David. Yeah, before I get to my last question, I just saw something when you were talking. Because, you know, again, I've been married 40-some years now. Um, but I always make a joke. It's like uh, 20 years because I was on the road half the time. With, with your <laughs> wife being such a great chef and, um, and and everything else, and obviously you guys have a phenomenal relationship, what was it like for her when you would have to be bouncing around, maybe going to different teams and things like that, and all the other, all the other escapades where you're in different, you know, different cities all the time? I don't. I, did she always come with you? Did she stay somewhere else? How how did that work out? Yeah, I mean, it takes a special type of, of person, a special type of woman, to support the type of career that I had. Uh, she, uh, she was building a resume when we decided that we were done with baseball. She's gonna she's gonna look into starting a career of her own now something that she sacrificed uh, mm. to support my baseball career. We decided that we were going to live baseball life together a long time ago. And that's what works for us. Wow. I know a lot of other couples, um, the, the wife will, will stay at home, maybe has a more traditional job that doesn't allow for the travel. But what worked for us was, was staying together. Um, she, as she was building her resume recently, we looked back at every transaction that caused us to move across the country. And over the past 12 years, we've moved 56 times across the country and paid rent in 33 different cities. Oh, my gosh. Um, so she always, always, always supported my dream uh, to, to pursue baseball and to be the best that I could be. She always went out of her way to do all the logistics, to, to find the apartment, pay the rent, get the furniture moved in, uh, sign up for the electricity, the water. Uh, break the lease when we needed to break the lease sign up sign of the moving the car transport she took care of all of the logistics so that i could focus on baseball and, and be my best so i i don't know how i got so lucky to have such a supportive partner but i i couldn't have done it without her and i wouldn't have been able to focus and stay as motivated as i was without her oh that's so well said and and again you were a team i mean obviously yeah. you were a team in so many ways and and the uh to have that support system when you are bouncing around, it had to be a life-saving type thing for you. Absolutely. And here's the last question. It's not that heavy. Dave made it made it sound heavier, but it, 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 we've had some wonderful answers, and I think you're a perfect you're a perfect candidate for this question. Um, you know, and uh, it, it's real simple. Take your time. You don't have to rush into it. <laughs> but uh, for for Ryan Lavarnway, what does it mean to be a ball player? Ooh. Simple question. What does it mean? To be a ball player, it doesn't have to be about you. It could be about the experience or whatever. But in your travels, lifestyle, life of baseball, in so many ways, what does it mean to be a ball player? Well, well, the simple answer to the to be a ball player, you play ball, right? Mm -hmm. And there's so much that goes into playing. You know, a, a a big league season or even a minor league season is such a grind. 140 to 162 games plus the 30 in spring training, and then playoffs if you're lucky enough to get there. They, they call you a pro when you go out and you and you play or you post every time your name is called. And it's something that I, I was very proud of that I stayed off the injured list for most of my career. Mm. And, and anytime my name was, was called, I was ready to answer the bell. Beyond that, I think that there's so many little kids that have dreams that are, are, are huge, almost unachievable dreams, right? I think that amount of players that play in, in high school or little league, there's a 99.7% chance you're not going to play in the big leagues, especially for more than a year. I think that people that have the chance to get there have the responsibility 
to share that experience to I, I started playing catch with fans before the games and and you wait even just waving at fans I get messages from people hey when I was 12 you waved at me and it made my whole childhood wow or or hospital visits where you have the opportunity that because you have the uniform on you're almost like a, a, not a real person anymore in in the way that allows people to open up to you and, and to cry on your shoulder and to let you into their room during maybe one of the hardest times of their life. I think as a ball player or as a professional athlete, you have the opportunity and you have the responsibility to build community um, for your fans in the city you live in. And also when you're on the road, the people that are rooting for your team, um, it's, it's such a special opportunity. I, I felt like I got to be a superhero every day. I got to put on the uniform and I, I really hope that I was able to make a positive impact uh, on the communities that I played in. Uh, it's a wonderful answer. Thank you. Yeah, Ryan, great job today. We appreciate you spending time with us and, and opening up and sharing all, all the information about your career. And I'm glad I got a chance to read that article because I think it, uh, it, it allowed our audience a little deeper view into who you were as a player and more importantly, who you were as a, as a, as a man. And I think our, this is our audience can eat this up and, and to our audience are 15,300 subscribers now. Thanks so much for supporting us. Continue to follow us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, or your favorite streaming device. Hit us up on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We answer one live question a day and we get back to everybody privately in, in our time. Uh, tons of questions over today. We have three three podcasts we're producing today. So uh, we, we love you guys and we'll keep keep pumping it back to you. Please follow Kevin Ball9. The guys over there at Ball9 do a tremendous job. Uh, Kevin gives us two tremendous articles a week. He has great insight into the game and his his ties and connections to the all the powers to be in the game are just amazing. They're beyond me. And to, to Ryan again, uh, we appreciate you, Ryan. Continue to let us know how we can support you in your next uh, career in baseball. And whatever you do, we know you're going to be very successful just based on our time today. So thanks again, Ryan. And Kevin, thank you too. All right. Take care. Yeah, thank you guys. Okay. And to our audience, we'll be back tomorrow.